We continue our studies in parables this summer, looking at Luke 12, 13 through 21. And I will read that for us now. Luke chapter 18, chapter 12, starting at verse, let me get to the right one, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be married. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I'd say that as we look at this parable, a parable where Jesus talks about money, he talks about money and inheritance. Many a person has daydreamed about an inheritance, whether real or imagined. You know, how about an inheritance? last will and testament, how things that you have or someone has gets passed down to others, children, grandchildren. Well, maybe you remember Leona Hemsley, Leona Hemsley. She was called the Queen of Mean, so not a very good title. But she was multimillionaire. Her husband was a rich billionaire estate. And when she died, she left monies, some to her family, but she left, can you believe $12 million to her dog? Can you believe it? $12 million bucks to her dog. And some of her family were left out of the will. But a most unusual inheritance came from Charles Vance Millar. He was a citizen up in Canada, Toronto, died in the 1920s. But he left his monies to an amazing way of distributing them. Here's what he said. His wills, he said, was unnecessarily, un, necessarily uncommon and capricious because I have no dependents or near relations and no duty rests on me to leave any property at my death. And what I do leave is proof of my folly in gathering and retaining more than I required in my lifetime. Now, his will was full of all kinds of playful, hilarious bequests. Three men who were known to despise each other were granted joint lifetime tendency in Millar's vacation home in Jamaica. Seven prominent Protestant ministers and temperance advocates were receiving money in a brewery stock. Anti-horse racing advocates were to receive $25,000 worth of jockey club, horse club stock. And his final bequest was the strangest one of all. It was a Will's 10th clause, and it required that the balance of Millar's estate be converted to cash 10 years after his death and to be given to the Toronto woman who gave birth to the most children in that time. There you go. Those who have nine kids would be interested in this one, right? And in the event of a tie, the bequest was divided equally. And guess what? 
The resulting contest became known in Toronto, Canada as the Great uh, Stork Derby. And over those next 10 years, three women in Toronto had nine children and ended up dividing the monies, receiving what in today's worth would be $2 million. How about that, huh? The idea of inheritance isn't new. In ancient times, it was important, especially when you're working the land. The trouble, of course, becomes when the land is subdivided, you can only go so far to divide it, and it no longer is manageable. But in Jesus' day, the questions of inheritance came also before Jesus. For here we have in this context a person coming to Jesus, talking about the land, talking about the inheritance. And he says, Jesus, as he's becoming a well-known teacher in Israel, a teacher without peer, a teacher who spoke with authority, unlike the rest of the spiritual leaders, one who spoke with authority from God, and then coupled with his demonstrated power, caused many to listen and seek his wisdom. Well, at the same time, as we've seen, causing the leaders to squirm and to try to figure out how to keep him quiet. Because the leaders at the time, the religious leaders, didn't like Jesus' message because it didn't line up with what their interests were. Their ideas didn't fit with Jesus because they had departed from the ways of God. And they tried to come up with ways to get rid of his message from the land. But the people responded to his teaching and insights. And Luke here recounts this person calling out for Jesus to divide the inheritance of his brother received with him. Obviously, their father had died, and somehow one of the brothers got the inheritance while the other brother was shut out. And the law provided for shares with the firstborn getting twice of the others. But it didn't work out this way for the, this one fellow, so he, he called out to Jesus, Jesus, do something about this. If you just say the word, it will be rectified. So he wants Jesus to help his brother share. What do we learn in kindergarten, right? Sharing, right? Remember that old book, What I Learned in Kindergarten, how that applies to life going forward? And it's good to learn how to share with others. But as this man wanted that, Jesus takes a different approach and speaks about our hearts and our relationship with money, about us and money. And Jesus, in the midst of it, asked a rhetorical question and said, who appointed him this position in society? Moses who was before Jesus, was what? He was the judge, the leader. But Jesus didn't have a specific authoritative position in the legislative manner of Israel. But Jesus uses this to push us, push the people here and push us deeper on the principle of watching out, of watching out. Someone in the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What does Jesus say in verse 15? Some principles. Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Watch out, be on your guard. Jesus is saying something to us, to you and me, as well as the people here in the first century. Jesus is starting to lay out kingdom principles about money and possessions so that we can grow deeper in our relationship with him. As Jesus then uses a story to help us understand. Stories that reveal the king. Jesus, the king, God's king, who came to bring the kingdom of God for us. Well, let's look at a couple of these that we see in the text. And the first one is our desire to accumulate. 
Because Jesus is teaching here that money isn't a game of riches to be won, but more importantly, it's a resource to be used for his kingdom. And here first he's talking about our desire to accumulate. Verse 16, what does he say? But the fields of what? Of the fields of a, of a certain man, rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. So we have this rich man who's doing well, and his fields had a really good yield. A huge supply of grain. Grain being a staple for life in many cultures, and certainly was there. Basic food, and still is. He was, this man was a player in the grain market. He had success in the past, but this year it was more than just good. He had one of those years that was abundant, where the grain was overflowing. And the man had accumulated a great deal of wealth because what does it say? The ground of a certain rich man. He was already rich, and now he gets this huge crop on top of that. Had success in the past, but now even more. He's rich beyond his basic needs. He has so much, he has to do some work to figure out how to hold on to his wealth. Verses 17 and 18, he determines what he's going to do. He says, what does he say? How can I have this surplus of grains? What am I going to do with it? And look at what he, sa what he says in verses 17 and 18. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. What do you notice in this? Do you see a few I's and me's and mine's in here? Yeah, he does. In fact, there's 10 of them. He's focused on himself. He's focused on what it is going to do for him. Remember, the man planted, but who watered and provided the growth? But God did. And Jesus is trying to help us see the situation of this man and what's going to happen to him. And so as he tries to figure out what he's going to do, he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'll build up bigger barns that will hold more grain so I'll have even more. But his focus is primarily on himself. He lived in a world bounded on the north, south, east, and west of me, myself, and I. He was all about me. For the ground yielded, remember, it's the ground yielded an abundant possession. So he was all about me. And what am I going to do? Now, if we've been tracking Jesus' teaching in these parables, how do you think it's going to go? How's Jesus going to respond to this? Self-focus and self-centeredness are always on the cutting block of Jesus' teaching. As he's been teaching about the kingdom, the kingdom is bigger. It's greater than any one individual. It's more about the entirety and the community and what God is doing. For the kingdom of God is lasting. The kingdom of God is a place he'll be the king, and how we are to live in it are those kingdom principles. And what does Jesus say? No, it's bigger than you. It's not just all about you. For the kingdom of God was to be the focus for God's people, a much higher calling than just limiting our view to my own life, my own interests, and my own desires. The desire to gather, to accumulate, to build a big bank account, to have a large retirement account can come with a whole lot more than we might realize. Now, there's nothing sinful, there's nothing wrong about having or building. It's whose focus, what focus is our eyesight upon, upon which our heart depends. Jesus is warning these people as he warns us. 
to beware of the deceit of riches. That we are not to be like this man, focusing on his life, his income, his riches, his security, his retirement, his future, his stuff, his plans, his years to come. Jesus turns the light upon the larger kingdom perspective, the eternal kingdom of God. We are to be about we are to be people who are interested, who are focused on kingdom living. Kingdom living, in other words, what God is telling us and what he has for us with what we have been given. This self-focus has become and growingly a part of our mindset, our cultural mindset. Focus on what we can get today for this life and the years to come just for me. And don't think about anything beyond my immediate concerns. Jesus doesn't say that accumulation is evil. What he's saying is the focus on accumulation alone at the expense of everything else is wrong. The increase of crops can be a good thing. A promotion, a salary increase is great. Growth in your savings, retirement, fantastic. A business that owns, expands, land, farm, home, that's great. But Jesus is saying if we accumulate and grow with the focus on ourselves alone, that is wrong. And what we have here is the man did what? He forgot his neighbors. He says, you know, his focus, his mindset, his words, it's all about him. He's not thinking about others. He's not thinking about time because who knows what time we have? Do we have a week, a month, years? We don't know. He forgot about that. He thought, no, I've got plenty of time. And above all, he forgot about God. He forgot about God is the one who gave him the ability to create wealth. This man didn't have a kingdom focus. So what does Jesus say? Be on your guard. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed can naturally come. It's natural in most of us. Case in point, if you look at the richest people in, in America, very few are followers of Jesus Christ. Somehow, as you get wealth and it gets massive, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus says in Mark 10, 23. How about John Rockefeller? John Rockefeller, he was uh, a man who started Amico Oil, Standard Oil, the largest gas-producing and distributing part uh, company in the United States back in the day. And he was thought to be one of the richest men who ever lived, while in today's hour, dollars, some people think he was worth 300 to $500 million, billion. When he died at age 98, people were wondering, how much did he have? How much was he worth? How much did he leave behind? And you know how much he left behind? All of it. He left behind all of it. Every penny. You can't take it with you, no matter if you're rich or poor. You leave it all behind. And Jesus is trying to lift our eyes up and help us to see things from a kingdom perspective, from a long perspective, just not the immediacy of our day. So you might object, well, I don't have very much. It's not a concern for me. But the desire, the action of pursuing things over the kingdom can be true in all of us. Be on your guard, brother and sister, against that desire to accumulate against the kingdom's work that God's called you to. Well, let's look at a, a second thing, the desire to abdicate. Desire to abdicate. Abdicate, in other words, to release, to give up, to, to uh, retreat. What is this man saying? 
in verse 19 and following when he says, then he said, this is what I'll do, do in verse 18. I'll tear down the barns, build the bigger ones. In verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What's that? He's talking about retirement. He's talking about retirement, about, okay, that's it. I'm done with the land. I'm no longer going to work the land. He's had many successful years. He's going to take, take life easy, retire from life, to abdicate, give up, surrender your responsibility. This man is retiring, maybe to the lake, the beach, the golf course, the mall, traveling, to spend the rest of his life in ease and luxury. You know, he's achieved what many, for many is the American dream. Get to get to as much as you can, then retire as soon as you can. That's the way our culture views retirement. But retirement is fine, but we never retire from life. For what does the scripture, what does the word of God say? As he says, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Retire, take it easy. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain. We can retire from our work our jobs, our employment, but we're never to be a people who retire from life. Retire from a career, fine, but we never retire from serving God and living for him. I remember at one church I, I served at, I was trying to get a very successful and shrewd businessman involved in the outreach of the church. And so I, I took him out to lunch and, and talked with him. And here he was in his mid-60s, and he had plenty of earthly possessions. He didn't need to work, but he enjoyed it. But he told me, you know, I've decided here in the last years of my life, I'm not going to get involved in church ministry. I'm just going to be involved in my work. He refused to engage in kingdom work and focused on his own work to the church's loss. I don't see that attitude meshing with what Jesus says here. Jesus says, no, we need to be first and foremost focused on the kingdom work. And that in life, we never retire from life. And the problem with this man is he was ready to retire. In other words, I have enough. I no longer have to work the land. But whose land in it? This is God's land that has been given. And his job was never to retreat from the land because the land was produce to feed the whole community, not just himself. His focus was on himself, his own thing, rather than the larger community in the kingdom of God. And so this man, he doesn't do what God had told him to do. Each one of us has gifts, abilities, resources, and places in life, whether they're large or modest. But whatever we've been giving, we are to be those who use those in the kingdom's work, in God's service. Whatever we have received, use it for the coming kingdom of God. To provide for ourselves, yes, but not in a manner that is exclusively just for us but it's a manner that blesses all peoples and blesses those in the kingdom. One of the saddest things, a number of years ago, I'd never been to a, a casino, and so we were going to a, interesting enough, we, it was, we stopped at, at a casino to have a, a, a lunch, and you wouldn't imagine, I don't know if you've done, seen this, but there were busloads of seniors being shipped in to go to the slot machines and spend their retirement monies at the slot machines. And in this dark, kind of dingy place with all these folks and the, the bells and stuff, thinking, well, this is an awful way to spend your retirement if that's what, how they do, if they would do that regularly. 
that go there, spend their money, spend their time and energy in a casino, rather than using what God's given you to serve, to bless other people. That's what God's called us to. Faithful servants never retire from serving God. So you may retire from a job, but we never retire in life. We never say, you know, I've served God through the 65 years. Now it's my time to do what I want to do. That's not a kingdom perspective. This is what Jesus is calling out in our, with our lives and with our money. We're never to advocate from living and serving God and using what God has given us. Now, positively, there's some great examples here at Bethel Covenant Church. People serve the Lord with their heart, strength, and mind into their senior years. They haven't retired from the Christian life. They pour themselves into, into living for Christ and blessing others. They are the examples. They are the anti-rich man with the great fields and crop here. Abdication is not a Christian principle, but to, true riches come through the resurrection, not human wealth and riches. Never, never, never stop living for God. About the money. Accumulate, abdicate. Our desires will give an account. Well, in this text, we also see here at the end what Jesus says. Why do we concern ourselves with this? Because all of us will give an account of ourselves before God. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, that very night... Your, you will be, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? That very night, and God calls him out. He says, you fool. What is a fool? A fool is someone who is morally deficient, who's not living in harmony with God's plan. This man was a fool. Even though he had all this, his life evaporated like dew on a sunny day. He lived to himself, and he died to himself. Rather than... Ha- living for God. The result for this man eternally is going to be a sorry one, as God calls him a fool. The best laid plans on earth may or may not happen, since we don't have control necessarily over them. But we need to be those who live in a way that we can be sure of our life and our account before God. He had the resources. He didn't use them for the kingdom's use. But God says this, and for us, in verse 21, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich to God. He was a fool. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So we have a contrast set up. Rich to to ourselves but poor towards God rather than rich towards God regardless of what else. How do we use our wealth? How do we use our resources How do we plan for the future? And it doesn't matter if you feel rich or not. God isn't asking you to solve world poverty, take on the debt of a third world nation. God's not asking you to give beyond what you have. What God is asking that you would use what you have, your monies, your time, your resources, for his work, for his kingdom work. Consider these verses in Deuteronomy. As we are to be rich to self, but not rich to to God. That's what he was. He was rich to himself, not to God. We are to be those who are rich towards God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and what, the, what Moses has received from the Lord. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth. Whatever we have, 
comes from God. Apart from God, we can't do anything. All is God's. We are what? His stewards of, of creation, administrators of what he's made, of what he has entrusted to us. Even if you've worked hard and made something of yourself and have found success, the talents and abilities you have came from God. And we're his stewards. So accumulation is under God's guidance. Abdication is never part of the Christian life. As we said, we don't retire from serving God. We live to him with all we have. That is what God is calling us to do. And what does Jesus say? He says, be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, a couple things I think is helpful for us. Realize that God is our greatest treasure. He's, he's above all other things. In our life, to see God, to see our relation with God is the greatest of all things. That's our greatest richness. And then being generous with what we have. Being one who's willing to share. Giving to the work of the Lord through the church and through the work of missions. Meeting the needs of other Christians who are hurting or needing. Using what we have for the kingdom, sharing with others, using what we have for the kingdom. Doing these things is what it means to be rich towards God. These are eternal riches. These are riches that are deposited in the eternal retirement account. You may have a pension, a 401k, you may have social security, that's great. But these are things that are deposited in God's eternal retirement account, which will be there and last forever. So you don't want to neglect this because we need to be people who are rich towards God. We need to go from what? From I and mine to we and us. To look up, to see in the larger context of what God wants for us. For we need to be people who are rich towards God. Rich in our work, rich in our generosity, rich in how we live our lives. For who truly owns your stuff and who owns mine? Who owns your stuff? Do you own your stuff or do you see yourselves as a steward, as someone who's a caretaker of what God has entrusted to you? Who's the ultimate owner? God is the one who made everything and everything we have is from him. God and God alone is ultimately the owner. And if we see our stuff in this way, it helps us to live in a kingdom, Christ-honoring, kingdom-building manner. God isn't impressed with big bank accounts, massive assets, and so forth. God is impressed and pleased with those who are rich in love and good works and who share generously what they've been given. This is Christ-honoring and Christ-pleasing kingdom living. This way, we'll never risk. How horrible it would be to stand before God and he look at us and say, fool, 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 you live to yourself. How, greater, how much greater to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what Jesus says through this parable to us. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Let us be a people who are rich towards God, who are rich towards what God calls us to be and do, to be people who are rich towards God. I read a story of a, in 20, May of 2019, so a little over three years ago, there was a plane with 71 peop, 70, 70 some people on it was taking off in Russia. And the plane got up and it got struck by lightning. 
and it messed up its systems, and they had to make emergency landing. And they landed really hard to the point where one of the wings got punctured, and the fuel spilled out and started on fire. And so they were put out the emergency exits, and people were coming off the plane. And 41 people got off, but 37 people didn't because some of the pastors said there were those who were grabbing their overhead bags before they would exit the plane, slowing down those from behind. Think about that. The plane is on fire, and people are grabbing their stuff rather than exiting. So a number of people, 37 died, maybe some could have been saved if everyone would have just got off the plane. Because it reflects that, that heart of, i got to hold on to my stuff, i got to grab my stuff. Rather than thinking, you know, stuff can be replaced. This is how it will be with those who are rich towards themselves, but not rich towards the things of God. How are we doing? Are we rich towards God or rich to this world? Being rich to this world puts us in danger of being a fool. But being rich towards God ensures the favor and pleasure of God in his eternal kingdom. How are you living? How am I? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for these stories, these words that speak your truth into our heart. Lord, help us to be a people, a congregation of people who are rich towards you, who, Lord, realize that you are our greatest treasure. Help us to be generous in monies and effort with others, loving and caring. Lord, serving you with what you've given to us, for we are stewards of all that we have through Jesus Christ. So help us to be those who are good servants for the kingdom of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand and join me in the last song, and we'll finish up and then uh, see what kind of treats are waiting us out there. Declaring the word of the Lord And these are the days of your servant Moses Righteousness is being restored And though these are days of great trials Of famine, darkness, and the sword So we are the voice in the Prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At trumpet call, lift your voice, hear a jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. The days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming like flesh, and 
these are the days of your servant David, rebuilding a temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest, the fields are wide in the Shining like the sun at trumpet call. 